Hey booze, welcome to Crime and Spirits, your one-stop shop for handcrafted cocktails, spooky stories, and all things true crime. I am your resident bartender, Suze, and I'll be teaching you all a new drink recipe at the beginning of each of our episodes. And I'm Bree, drinker of the drinks, and I write the stories we tell. So, what should you expect while listening to us? Well, good question. There's going to be some swearing. Oh, a lot of swearing. Probably some rambling. Definitely rambling. And most likely a lot of off-topic pop culture references. We specialize in Bob's Burgers and maybe Always Sunny. Definitely. But what do you want from us? We're going to be drinking. And hopefully you will be too. So come hang out with us each week. And if you want to spend more time with us, check out the description for the link to all of our socials. Let's buckle up buttercups and sip tight. Let's get into it. Everybody. Hi guys. Welcome back to Crime and Spirits, where your hostess is with the mostesses. I'm Brie. I'm Suze. <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> I can't help myself. You already know. <laughs> I love it. So how are you doing this week? Pretty great. Yeah. How about you? We've it's, had a busy week. <laughs> it's been a very busy week. Uh, my boyfriend earlier this week had a, not like a major surgery, but kind of. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> um, so we've been, I've been in caretaker role all week, which has been you know, an interesting twist of events. <laughs> I was a speed racer to Pittsburgh mode, so yeah. that was fun, because I, I don't know about all of you, but I freaking hate to, driving in Pittsburgh. Yeah, same, and my anxiety was all the way up, so Suze and Jen, who is a previous guest on the podcast, uh, my two besties, came down with us just for a little support, Hell yeah. along with my mother-in-law. So we had quite the time. Mark's been all drugged up and doped up, and it's mm-hmm. been interesting, so I'm really looking forward to just decompressing and talking some true crime. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I love it. This is what Take we do. The edge <laughs> off. This is what I do to relax now. It's true. <laughs> this is our chill mode, guys. So, we are going to be discussing da 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 the vampire of Sacramento, Richard Ooh, Chase. He's a baddie. He is not somebody I had much of a foundi- uh, foundation of knowledge with, so I learned a lot as <laughs> these I. last few days. So this guy was absolutely obsessed with blood, and it became his mission in life to acquire it. You hear that? Put Remember that. <laughs> acquire it yes. through any means necessary. Because his way to accomplish this was to murder many an animal, as well as six people. So you might be asking yourself, why are we talking about vampires? Well, Suze is going to so, be able to answer that for yeah, us. Yeah, a little bit. So this case is obviously going to be super bloody. We're going to try not to get into too much of the nitty gritty, Um, but I thought blood. We did have a a regular listener. Hey, Jason. Here here is the answer to your wish um, as far as drinks go. He requested a Bloody Mary recipe. So the fates aligned, the vampire of Sacramento, Mm -hmm. Bloody Marys. Okay, great. Here we are. (laughs) Um, To get us through the horrors of this case, we are definitely going to need a drink, like a big drink. Um, So we are prepping two different Bloody Marys today. I did spicy for me, Brie, the not-so-spicy version. Mm -mm. Um, Brie, you've never had a Bloody Mary before, is that correct? That is correct. The ingredients are not, they're not... Not appealing at all. (laughs) In any way, shape, or form. So that was also my first opinion because um, I first discovered the joys of a spicy Bloody Mary after a trip to Burgettstown probably about 15 or so years ago. Um, I was going to see Dave Matthews Band with my friends. 
Burgettstown is a little venue south of Pittsburgh. It's basically a big theater, amphitheater thing with a huge lawn. Oh, okay. Just, you can get loaded and like go camp. Vibes. Pretty much. Okay. It's all outdoors. The The pavilion part is a little covered, but not that covered. Okay. Like, if it rains slightly in the wind at all, you're going to be damp. Um, but we had a blast. Long story short, we felt like dupa the next morning, but everybody was like, we need to eat some crappy breakfast food. Okay, great. We Naturally. Go to this, mm-hmm, shitty little diner in Pittsburgh. I won't say shitty, because the food was good. It was like, just looked like a greasy little spoon kind of thing. Those are always the best ones. Mm-hmm. Mark and I went to a diner uh, outside of D.C. We went to the football game. Oh, okay. Um, and it was literally like the best food ever. Yeah, I remember I had French toast. It was wonderful. But mm. our server walked up and he was like, hey, guys. <laughs> like, you could just tell, like, we had been outside. Like, <laughs> we just looked hungover, apparently. He was judging you. Because he offered us all Bloody Marys. And he was like, oh, do you want them? I was like, sure, why not? I've never had one. Let's give it a go. I hate tomato juice, but I like vodka. What the hell? Why not? <laughs> so I ordered a spicy Bloody Mary. And let me just tell you, it changed my life. I, I know it has to my run. day, because I had to. I had my French toast, and then I felt right as rain. Ever since I've known you, you've been a huge Bloody Mary Yep, fan. I even this got... This checks out. I've gotten my friends on board at one Christmas party. Our friend Bud actually had just a big, huge decanter of tomato juice, and then all the things you can add. That's hilarious. And a bunch of different vodkas. That also checks out for Bud. It was amazing. <laughs> so, Jason, this drink is for you. Um, since I like them spicy, we're going to start on the spicy track. Um, we use Hala brand vodka. I say Hala like Hala because there is like a little exclamation point on the bottle. Um, that vodka is actually proudly made in New York, PA. So that is PA oh, yeah. proud. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose the jalapeno flavor today, but I do have their dill pickle flavor at home. And let me just say... People be getting wild with these vodka flavors. It's so good. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so for today we're doing jalapeno. Um, Two ounces of the vodka into your shaker tin with your ice. Now, dependent on the size of your glass, we have 16 ounce pint glasses. I put three ounces of plain tomato juice. It wound up being like four and a half. Um, add it right in. I know, uh, plain tomato <laughs> juice. Uh, but again, don't get the V8. Don't buy the pre-mixed shit. It's going to be too salty and it's going to be gross. Just tr- trust me, please. Um, now, if you don't like it spicy, you can start with a, just a plain vodka. Um, we're using New Amsterdam plain vodka, but I did see at the liquor store, Smirnoff has a cucumber lime Mm. that intrigued me yeah that sounds really good so i think cucumber would go good to kind of mellow it out but again plain vodka is also fine um next for the not so spicy version you add in some cracked black pepper however much you'd like about a quarter teaspoon of worcestershire sauce (laughs) um and about a half an ounce of dill pickle juice and trust me the dill pickle juice is my secret ingredient i had a bar guest tell me about it when i worked at a different restaurant and i was like very disbelieving she's giving out secrets but it's so good (laughs) i'm telling you um so that's it for the non-spicy one you shake that up you strain it into a fresh glass we rimmed ours with the tahini seasoning we're going to see how that goes. I've never actually tried it before, but it I've seen it in a lot of groups. Um, 
We at work use Lowry's, which to me is just like, would you like to clog your arteries a little further? Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Salt with more salt. I like the smell of Lowry's, though. Yes. Well, <laughs> it smells appetizing. <laughs> it's basically like the salt and the onion and the garlic, I that feel. It's like, makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fun part about Bloody Mary's is you can add whatever kind of crazy garnishes you want. Yeah. She went all out, guys. Yeah. Um, now, for the spicy version, you add in all the things that you added above. So the black pepper, Worcester, Shire dill pickle juice um use the spicy vodka obviously i like to add in horseradish about a quarter of a teaspoon again whatever you want it's whatever your taste is would you like to not feel your tongue for like an hour by all means (laughs) fork that stuff in i like to go light on it but it definitely does add to the spice um and you can add in hot sauce if you'd like. I did two to three shakes of, um, I have an Old Bay hot sauce. Oh. Because <laughs> believe it or not, Old Bay is actually good in these also. You could I rim your glass tracks. with Old Bay if you wanted. Um, oh, interesting. But again, measure that shit with your heart. Whatever you want. If you want it <laughs> spicy, put in whatever blows your hair back. And again, you just shake it, you strain it into a freshly, freshly rimmed glass with fresh ice um also if you want to not have booze the bloody mary is great without it Mm, good mocktail Mm -hmm, absolutely so again it's just the same method just no vodka (laughs) um for garnishes you can go as crazy as you'd like um traditionally the bloody marys i've seen have celery and olive and a, a lemon or a lime or both um i also recommend a dill pickle spear um brie and i went nuts today with turkey pepperoni um cheddar cheese pepperoncinis i have some pickled garlic some candied jalapenos celery like lime pickles an olive or something is on and there's an olive mm-hmm. mixed in there just for funsies yeah, we just threw it all in again whatever you want you could not do anything some people have to have the celery to like swish their drink around um we have a local place here in erie called the oasis they do they have like a loaded bloody mary and it's oh. like a hard-boiled egg, um, shrimp, cheese, no, meats, all the things. <laughs> I love a good garnish. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> it's like a brunch, but with a drink, yeah. too. Um, I mean, who could... I could see how this is appealing to people, absolutely. And again, it's become a thing. People put, like, whole, whole fried chickens on it and pizzas and tater tots. That's and hilarious. I, I love it because it's crazy. It's That's batshit crazy. Some tipsy bartender There was shit. one down in Pittsburgh my sister and I saw. They deep fried a whole small soft shell crab and just went boop on the skewer okay. and put a bunch of skewers in the crab and put more stuff on top of it. How does the glass even like stay standing I at that no point? Idea. I was sort of concerned because it was just sitting outside as an example and it was hot <laughs> out. The so. physics of it. My is... sister doesn't do seafood though, so we did not get to enjoy that. Not partake. Maybe someday. But we'll see. So Brie, <laughs> just okay. sip your tomato juice and vodka and let me know how you feel. Oh. Right. I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. I don't you. know if I like it per se. I'm telling you. But I don't hate I was fully <laughs> expecting to be like I was like she's not gonna like it. How am I going to get through this? <laughs> That's why we have a wine chaser just in case. I mean we always do, but I do have to be careful with how much I drink tonight because I am still on caregiver duty. Caregiver duty. So the liquor is probably not gonna be my thing this evening, but I will enjoy the I'm wine. just telling you, enjoy your bloody it was berries, pretty good. guys. Make it spicy in my surprised. opinion. I could see how spice would add to that for sure, for sure. 
Also, thank you for the drink recommendation. This was really fun to be able to kind of like hunt for a case to go it's along true. with that. And this was actually the first time that one of our listeners has reached out and yeah. requested something specific. So thank you, Jason. We appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. We <laughs> super appreciate you. And if anybody else has something out there or even like a random liquor you'd like to try and you want to give Sue's a challenge, Let bring me know. it on. I'll, I'll I'll mostly try anything. I'm sort of scared of egg whites and drinks, but I'd be willing to try for I, the, the podcast. That, yeah, that might be the line. Ooh. I don't know. I guess we'll see. If it's so demanded by, like, our six listeners, right. then we'll revisit this. But we see you, and we appreciate you guys. Yeah. So, all right. Let's, now that we've got some booze flowing, let's get into this case. All right. So, we're talking all about Richard Trenton Chase. He was born on May 23rd, 1950. Fun fact, that's Jen's birthday. Oh, no. (laughs) Have you noticed there's been several incidences on these cases that has taken place around this time? Jen, Uh, you poor hmm. thing. Girl, you got something to tell us? (laughs) What's up with this birthday? (laughs) So he was born in California. Um, We found some sources that say he was a native to Sacramento. Other sources say he was born in Santa Clara County about like an hour and a half to two hours away. And then his family moved when he was three. Either way, he's a Cali baby. California. His parents, Richard Sr. and Beatrice Chase, they were a computer specialist and teacher, respectively. In 1954, his younger sister Pamela was born, and their little nuclear family was complete. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the 50s, I'm sure everybody knows this, traditional family values were, like, sort of the thing. <laughs> Fathers were the heads of the household, and everyone else was expected to fall in line. Um, The Chase family was no exception at first. (laughs) Um, Richard Sr. was extremely strict and quite the disciplinarian. Um, In addition, because of course, he was an alcoholic uh, who had no idea how to manage his money. Uh, The latter issue actually led to marital problems, shockingly. Right. um, Which led to loud and frequent arguments taking place in front of the children, which would eventually lead up to the family losing their home and a separation. Um, This could be, perhaps, I'm guessing, one of the many reasons why no one actually noticed young Richard's disturbing behaviors. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was said that he began showing behavioral evidence of the McDonald triad theory, which we've talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Oh, for sure. (laughs) But for all intents and purposes, it's a theory that states the presence of two out of three behavioral factors could be a predictor of violent tendencies, specifically serial offenses. This is also known as the serial killer triad. Which which is is what I knew it as. And which is likely what you guys have heard us refer to it as. Um, Basically, what it all means is that according to J.M. McDonald, the creator, or like original thought haver, I guess. Yeah, I don't quite know. (laughs) It is named after him, so perhaps. I'm pretty sure he was the one who like came up with the theory. How, I don't know, but... He basically said that if a small child is cruel to animals, is obsessed with fire setting, and persistently wets the bed past a certain age, which I think they stated is five. It's young, but, like, not that young. Yeah. Young, but, like, past a certain age where that shouldn't be an An issue. A reoccurring, like, consistent issue. Right. That they are more likely to show homicidal and sexually predatory behavior later in life. Hmm. Right. It all checks out, though. It does. It certainly does. Um, so a cop. Oh, oop, nope. I'm skipping ahead. <laughs> uh, so the FBI and the psych community had run small-scale studies in 1963. It was John Douglas, Rob 
I cannot talk today. We're already having a day. I know. I haven't even had, I've had like three sips of my drink. drink. Um, Robert Ressler and Ann Burgess were the creators of VICAP and criminal profiling. They were all involved in this. At the time, they claimed to have found a substantial amount of evidence supporting the theory, but further studies have suggested that this could be, might, could be unlikely. Um, in fact, these violent behaviors seem to be better connected to childhood experience of parental abuse, neglect, or brutality, which check, 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 right. check. Well, personally, I feel like chances are if you're experiencing these things, that leads to the bad behavior, which then leads to worse behavior. Right. So I really feel like there's validity. I think they're to, all right. It's yeah. just mm-hmm. a more of a process. Like, everybody can be right here. because. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I do understand. I feel like... I can see why they'd be like, you can't definitively say if this person did all these three things that they're absolutely going to be a psychopath. I don't right. think that's fair to anybody. Oh, for sure. But I definitely think that... It's definitely pointing in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And now Bree's part that I tried to steal. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of reasons why we wanted to mention this. The first one being the triad theory is very influential, yet its validity is highly debated. Which makes for an interesting discussion. And two, a young Richard Chase had a penchant for blood. This is an obsession that drove him to start killing cats by the age of 10. Rude. So we're seeing the first factor of behavior. He had set a few fires in his day. Number two. And rumor has it that he went to bed quite often. So he checked all the triad boxes and he even started experiencing breaks from reality as young as 13. So in this case, we're seeing that the triad theory is in fact correct. Right. But we also see that he lived in what was likely to be an abusive home. Right. So, I don't know. In the abusive research, and neglectful somehow at the same time. Oh, it's Do you a know dangerous what I mean? combination. Right. Well, in the research you sent me, it, it was almost con- almost confusing because a lot of people were saying like he was so quiet and he was really well adjusted and all of these things but then you have the exact opposite information for that same ty- time period in right. his life so it was almost like the break in reality really makes sense yep like he was living different sets of lives almost this case got weird it was weird <laughs> one of one of his very first breaks from reality he was convinced that he was a member of an outlaw gang from the 19th century like the one that jesse james mm-hmm. was uh, yeah infamously a part of yeah <laughs> like, were they robbing they were robbing coaches trains? or trains or yeah. something mm-hmm. okay so this guy in the late 70s <laughs> or, well, I guess early 70s at this point, thought that he was part of this gang, and he had a poster up in his room, they were all of his homies, and he, like, begged his mom every day for a cowboy hat. I mean, I had posters of the Beatles when I was a kid, but also didn't think I was a member of the Beatles. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, hmm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Um, so anyways, as Richard grows into a teenager, he's surprisingly popular, conventionally attractive, took care of his outer appearances, he was invited to parties and actively dated. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, for poor little Rich, he seemed <laughs> to have some trouble in the, you know, relations department with his girlfriends, um, which ultimately ended all the relationships. This then led to him being humiliated and angry. So Richard basically concluded that his erectile dysfunction was caused by simply having a lack of blood. Yeah. Because that was that would be the leap that I would make right, as a reasonable human. Yeah. What? 100% <laughs> the first thing you think of. 
Um, so this really just sort of cemented the blood obsession even deeper into his psyche and became definitely like a driving factor into his later behavior. Yeah. It's super weird because, I mean, like, I guess technically speaking, like, not being able to have interaction could... I don't know. I could see how he could make that leap almost, but to the degree in which he well, takes it... For all other purposes, he was a healthy teenage boy. Mm-hmm. He was not a hemophiliac. He was not leaking blood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but in his head, like, obviously, this is a problem not with me, but with like Something my lack like of physical blood. Mm-hmm. Per se, yeah, like a physical ailment almost. I feel like he just needed a reason for it. Yes, and Absolutely. he was so young to be having this problem. So at eight. Um, yeah, 18, he pursued therapy for the issue, and he learned that a potential cause of his impotence could be due to his repressed anger, Hmm. which makes sense. He lived in a really shitty household, and he seemed to have had a lot of built-up, like, Well, it seemed like there was a lot of trauma with his dad being an alcoholic and abusive, Mm -hmm. and they lost their home, and... It was just, like, one thing right after another, it seemed, throughout his entire adolescence. Not an excuse, but still, like, I can see the reasons. I could see there being... (laughs) have repressed anger. anger. (laughs) And then I could see it manifesting in a way that is just super inconvenient for him. Right. And it makes him more... (laughs) And it makes him more angry, so it's just an angry cake that we got angry layers going on over here and the thing that's crazy to me is that the psychiatrist that he was seeing thought that he may have deeper mental illnesses but he never actually recommended that he be institutionalized and by this point richard had been experimenting with amphetamines and lsd for years he was taking large amounts at a time and he still firmly believed that he just needed more blood in his body Again, though, so all of the things that happen after this point could have been stopped Mm -hmm. had he been institutionalized or even, like, let's talk more about these other mental illnesses that are perhaps at at play here. back for therapy Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It does kind of give me the vibes that he was written off. Yes. As, like, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Or, like, you'll grow out of it? Yeah, just not worth their time to even look into further? I I do feel as though in this time, so, like, the early to Mm mid-70s, that there was still that stigma attached to it, you know what I mean? So, So I I guess, but... I mean, like, I don't know. Can you imagine what those therapy sessions were like? He was like, okay, so my best friend is Jesse James, and we're robbing train cars, and also, I can't get it up in the I'm bedroom. telling you, Google... And I need more blood. Like, what part of that Google is the same a picture man? of this man. He just looks, at the end, completely he deranged. Crazy. Yes, like, yes. absolutely crazy. Terrifying. He, mm-hmm. he legitimately looks like a terrifying human being. Like, because, as we'll see in the story going down the road mm-hmm. here, people don't even recognize him as who he used to be. Right. Um, so, as our dear friend Richard continues to grow... He develops hypochondria, which is, you think there's something wrong with you, but there's not. Mm -hmm. Um, He would often complain that his heart would just randomly stop beating. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true, considering he's taking copious amounts of LSD and amphetamines. (laughs) Like, maybe his heart does stop beating once in a while. Stop taking the drugs, dude. (laughs) Um, One time, he actually complained that someone had stolen his pulmonary artery. (laughs) So, when I was reading this research, I was reading your email um, 
I think the night that we got back, no, the day after Mark had surgery. So his mom was still here. We were just like hanging out. I think we had just had breakfast. And so I was like, you know what? Let me start working on things for the week. And I'm laughing out loud. And Mark and Lisa are like, what? And what? I'm like, and you're like, I can't tell so you. So I told them. So I told them. And I was like, this dude thinks that he they stole his like artery. And I don't even know how you would think what? that or why. Mm-hmm. Did you have a scar? Did you wake up in a back alley somewhere? I don't understand. I've got yeah. questions. I would ask him. He actually <laughs> he actually went looking for the person that he thought took the artery. That's that's what really made me. So happy. not only was it not aliens or magic, it was a specific person that just went like I just envision Indiana Jones. <laughs> yes. Where he like pulls out his heart. Oh and my god! Yeah. You know the magic of the eighties. Mm. He just stuck his hand inside and it yeah. came right back out and everything was normal. Everything was mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, also according to Richard, his stomach was backwards. He also thought he could absorb vitamin C through his skull directly to his brain, which actually, from what I read, led to him putting oranges up against his head Mm -hmm. because he just assumed the vitamin C would get to his brain that way. He sure did. Um, he also thought his cranial bones, the ones in your head, that they had separated and were just sort of like moving about. Um, so because of these beliefs, again, the orange thing, he actually shaved off all of his hair so he could actively watch where his bones were going, which what? I mean, if you, that, that is logical. Cause if you think your bones are moving around, you're like, well, let me check it out. Yeah. But what? Okay. So unless you're a baby, your head bones do not move. <laughs> and that's only because they're not formed when you're a baby. You know what this makes me think of? As is tradition, Criminal Minds, you know the episode where the chick has, like, the skin condition that only she can see? There's, like, bugs moving around or whatever? Mm-hmm. That is what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. And that really freaks me out. Ugh. It makes me cringe. That is an actual thing, though, the skin thing. Mm-hmm. Like, people have, like, peeled their skin off. Ugh, I know. Mm-hmm. No, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> um, so, obviously, Richard's life is very affected by these delusions, mm-hmm. which leads the way he lives his life to just be, like, bananas, in my opinion. No, I mean, Even for the 70s, this shit is crazy. <laughs> right, the 70s consider- were a wild time from what I've read. Consider the times. Yes. So, much to our surprise... It's not. Not surprised at all. Richard does spend a few times in a psych institution. He did a brief stint in 1973, and then he voluntarily commits himself three years later. So, what happened was, he went to a hospital seeking emergency treatment because, you guys... I'm laughing not because it's funny, but because I, it's so crazy to me. This shit is bananas. You guys, he literally injected his body with rabbit blood. <laughs> and he just put it right into his veins and it made him violently ill. I find that stunning. What? I'm shocked. Outside blood making you sick? No way. What? Rabbit blood at that? What? You, that totally Poor little bun into a human body. Um, this is the moment that triggered the second institution. The, the, the institutionalization. Why did I even write this word? It's like Worcestershire. That is made up. <laughs> I, I had to Google even... how to spell it because I apparently can't spell it. And my <laughs> autocorrect can't spell it either. I was reading this back oh, as I do many times while I proofread these. And um, I couldn't even say it in my reading of it out loud. <laughs> I should have just changed it then. But whatever. So... Richard's obsession with blood earned him the nickname Dracula from the hospital staff where he stayed. That and the fact that he was seen trying to kill and drink the blood of several birds by said hospital staff. 
Because that's the kind of man that we're dealing with in this situation, guys. The fact that they gave him a nickname and they were like, oh, oh, let us laugh about it. That makes me just want to, like, crack my knuckles and punch somebody in the head. Like, come Mm -hmm. on, y'all. I wonder if that kind of speaks to what you were saying. Like, there's such a stigma to crazy people back then that I feel like with mentally ill and we've seen it even with like mentally disabled people like people find their actions funny and it's not funny right like they're just trying to get through life the best way they know how and their brains are not working the same way as others right absolutely and like but instead you have this like they were either completely horrified and were terrified of him or they thought it was like a joke i think it was like we're so scared if we don't make a joke we're not going to be able to take care of this human which i could see i'd like to think we're gonna go with that because it's the more positive that checks out (laughs) Um, so finally, finally, Richard is diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. This is around age 25, so it's literally taken over 10 years mm-hmm. to get to this point. Um, a mental health condition, bas- it basically affects everything from how you think to how you feel and behave. Like, And I feel as though it affects everybody differently. Yeah. A lot of the behaviors are similar, but like... From what I understand, there's a lot to do with like delusions or like... like hallucinations and that usually is person dependent yeah everybody's gonna see the same delusion i'm gonna guess his is blood related i'm i would be shocked (laughs) i would be shocked (laughs) um another doctor actually thought that richard may have been experiencing a drug-induced toxic psychosis which I think is basically just, like, the drugs kicked your brain into, yeah. like, whoosh. Because like, he was doing LSD, like, a shit ton of and LSD. the amphetamines and stuff, like, mm-hmm. that does not help matters. No, bad combo. Um, either way, whatever it is, he starts a drug and therapy regimen, and after less than a year, he's deemed to no longer be a threat to society. Because why? Isn't that nice? Tie up that what? bow, call it good. Um, he is released into his mother's care. Where she promptly is like, let's get you off these meds, Rich. That let's checks do out. that. Um, yeah. She gets him into his own apartment with some roommates. Um, <laughs> fun fact here. Um, Richard Chase was actually supposed to be under a concert... Cons- conservatorship. So basically like what Britney yeah, was what under. Yeah, what Britney Spears was under. So they were supposed to take care of everything and keep track of where he was. Not in a yeah. crazy, horrible way like Britney's dad did. But just make but sure maybe, he wasn't but I mean, hurting like, anybody. Maybe or, they should have because he was... In the comparison, Britney Spears just wanted to have babies and make more music. And very <laughs> clearly this man wanted to inject blood from other beings From any him. source into Ooh. his body. Um... But his parents actually didn't bother to even renew it, and they let it lapse in 1977. So at this point, he is basically unmedicated, unsupervised, and unleashed on an unsuspecting, terrified (laughs) public. Aided it. His roommates didn't last very long either. Yeah. Because, I mean, right, let's get real, guys. He was an addict and an alcoholic, and he liked to walk around naked literally all the the time. time. I mean, whatever blows your hair back in that respect, but, like, come on, dude. But when there was guests over, mm-hmm. it's one thing, okay, like, I've lived with roommates, and, like... No fucks were given here. Granted, like, there was no naked walking around, but, like, <laughs> none of that happened, but, like, when guests were over, you you don't... You put on airs. <laughs> well, it's just common decency to, like, just be nice or polite, not or just to walk around in with your wang out. Why is your wiener out? I don't understand why that's necessary. At least he didn't try and take their blood, I guess. I guess. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I like, why is your wang out? That's <laughs> like, a good why? T-shirt. <laughs> I'll put it on a t-shirt why's your for wang you. Out? Say less. Um, so these things are not conducive to living with others. Shocking. And the roommates tried to kick him out, but he refused to leave. So 
they just decided the lesser evil in the situation for was to leave themselves. Which, that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Roommates, plural. We, it doesn't specify how many in any of the research I yeah, did. Yeah, I didn't see any. But he had multiple roommates. More they were all like, no thank you, mm-hmm. goodbye. Like, they would rather leave than deal with that. Like, yeah. yo. Which, I mean, I think... In hindsight, they're all pretty grateful oh, that they yeah. just got the I bet the fuck they opened the there. paper and were like, shoo, <laughs> dodged a bullet there. Like, quite literally, actually, dodged yes. a bullet. Dot, dot, dot. So, we start to see an escalation in his behavior once he had the place all to himself. And I'm talking really gross shit. He Ooh, would go wow. out and capture animals for the sole purpose of killing them. That's so rude. I was irate the entire time writing this because anytime I had to write the words like he hurt an animal I just got more and more angry so his plans included disemboweling the animals before consuming the organs raw so we're seeing a trend here guys he likes blood and he wants organs and like I think in his head he had to ingest it in some way shape or form for it to affect him positively yeah I'm saying positively with quotes because that's in his in like his, his brain. delusion I think really just stems from these fake health problems that he was experiencing what, that he thought he was experiencing the hypochondria yeah and he was trying to like these were his solutions and like other times uh, other times he would mix the organs with a coke and he would blend it in a blender. And he would yeah. drink it. Mm-hmm. He believed that by ingesting the animals, he was able to prevent his heart from shrinking. So, like, there's very, like, specific things. That's what I think fascinated me while, like, learning about this and writing it. Was that, like, it's such a specific reason. And in his head, it's completely logical. Well, and he's got all the background to prove why this is a problem, you know what I mean? And it's just so bizarre to me, because, like, I can't imagine that, like, leap in your brain from, Mm -hmm. like, I have ED to, like, I need to drink organs. Like, what? I don't... What? That's bananas. (laughs) Um, So this incident also freaked me the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Um, In August of 1977, Richard is in Nevada driving a pickup truck um he was actually found wandering around the lake tahoe area late at night carrying a bucket and was literally like coated in blood yeah like covered head to toe (laughs) um so the nevada pd found and searched his pickup truck it contained some guns but also a liver (laughs) yeah just you know for chilling giggles um, they arrested Richard that night, um, but they actually figured out eventually that the blood did not belong to a human. Thank sweet baby Jesus, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it belonged to a cow instead. So he's just riding around with cow blood and a cow liver. Huh. And So I had watched um, an episode of Most Evil Serial Killers, I think. I'll make sure I have the correct title when I write up the description for the episode. But um, basically, they said that he, like, went to a farm, I think, if I remember correctly, and, like, slaughtered one of the cows. And that's where all of this came from. But so that's also a crime. So instead of prosecuting him for it, because that's, like, theft and vandalism and, like, I mean, not murder, but, like, it should be. I mean. But, like. They actually just let him go. At the very least. Despite the fact that he was bathed in blood with a cow's liver in his car. Like, wouldn't you be like... "Eh." Could you imagine just the scene? No. (laughs) No. 
And in my picture, in my head, I was picturing it, and I was like, "Oh no!" (laughs) The whole time. And like the thing is, is that all these seemingly isolated events end up culminating in Richard Chase becoming a murderer, and he was just absolutely intent on acquiring and ingesting blood through any means necessary. He didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. He gave no gave. He had zero fucks to give from the first place. He was negative fucks. I think at this point, right? His unchecked mental illness and budding psychopathy was one hell of a combination. So we're gonna start getting into the timeline of Richard's further descent into madness. (sighs) So this brings us to December of 1977. It's basically the beginning of the end for Mr. Richard Chase. The first event takes place on the 27th of December. Um, A woman reports that someone had shot, just shot a gun, into her home. The police respond and find a 22 caliber slug in the kitchen. Right, so random. And, like, bear with us. I think this is just, like, a testing of boundaries for him in my head. And bear with us. Um... We tried our best to make the timeline, like, cohesive, but a couple things kind of happen at the same time, so if for whatever reason you guys get confused and you want clarification, like, let us know. So, um, on the 29th of December, Ambrose Griffin, an engineer and father of two, was helping his wife bring in some groceries, and suddenly his wife hears him yelling something out, followed up by two popping noises, and then she sees her husband drop to the ground. Richard Chase had shot him with a 22 caliber pistol while driving by. So we already see, like, an escalation mm-hmm. just between two events. Almost immediately, though. That's literally two days later. Every single time he does something... It's amped up so in crazy. In some way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. Even if it's something that's like, seems minimal, it's just an escalation consistently. And so police arrive on scene, and one of the sons reports seeing a man with a rifle walking through their neighborhood. This gets investigated, and police find this that this mystery man was actually not responsible for Ambrose Griffin's death. Two different kinds of guns. Hello. Oh, so good. There's two people walking around. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. And the thing I'd is, be like, how fast can I sell this house? <laughs> nobody seems to care about the random man with the rifle. Ugh. But there was also a report of a suspicious-looking vehicle in the area, but police couldn't get a clear description of the car or the driver during, like, their follow-up interviews. So, things get even weirder because he sort of, like, de-escalates. Mm-hmm. Or I guess maybe the circumstances aren't lining up for him the way he would like. Um, because after this initial murder, Richard commits several break-ins. Yeah. So, this brings us to January 11th, 1978. Richard runs into his neighbor of six months in the apartment complex where he was living. Her name is Don Larson. He was like, hey, girl, can I get a smoke? She's like, sure, here's a cigarette. She leaves, tries to leave. He physically stops her. Um, She gives him the whole pack of cigs because I'd be like, just get the fuck away from me. Um, And thank God for her, he does let her go. Mm -hmm. Don was actually afraid to report what happened. She was scared of Richard initially and obviously forever but after this incident she would later go on to explain that she had seen richard bring several animals into his apartment which was specifically not allowed via the lease agreement but she never actually saw any of the animals come back out of the apartment so that is concerning yeah that's suspicious Uh uh-huh don't be suspicious he is very suspicious um her first impression of him was that he was just an odd person maybe a little bit lonely perhaps not harmless Um, She does go on to recall that she did get a peek inside of his apartment, 
and she saw a map of Sacramento on the wall with black marks on it. Yeah. We don't know what they specified, or do we? But <laughs> Right. I think that we can surmise. Yes. So, a couple weeks later, January 23rd, a woman named Jean Layton, she lived at 2909 Burness Street. She spots an unkempt-looking man who had longer hair walking towards her home. She's inside, like, looking out, I believe, her back patio door. Um, she watches him attempt to get into her home through the patio door, but it was locked. Thank God. He next tried getting in through the windows, also locked. Thank God. So he goes back to the door, and he's face-to-face with Jean, because she's, like, you know, trying to see what he's doing, and they come, you know, make eye contact, and he just seems to be unfazed by her presence. He stops to study her, and then he turned around, he lit a cigarette, and he just walked away. That's... Fucking terrifying. Yes, absolutely. Terrifying. Um, and so... The research was sort of sketch here. We think this event takes place the same day as the event that happened at Gene Layton's place, but it was not that clear. Yeah, there wasn't any sort of definitive timeline regarding this, so we kind of just used context clues. Right. So the house, the next house on his target list, I guess, belonged to Robert and Barbara Edwards. They were bringing groceries into the house. But they actually heard a noise inside the house, which wasn't them, obviously, because... They were outside They the were house. not in the house. <laughs> uh, they heard a window slam towards the back of the house, and they actually see an unkempt-looking young man come around the corner towards them. Just... I, from I just, what I read, he was just nonchalantly, like, do-do-do, walking down yeah, the street. Like, he just got done. Like, trying to play it off that he was not just inside their house. Oh, yeah. Kind I, of thing. That makes <laughs> sense. I also really enjoy that he like consistently gets described as an unkempt looking man unkempt i don't know why it's young like, man it's just so random i know so crazy <laughs> in other words um the husband chases the young man away he jumps a fence though and gets away from robert uh the police are called obviously because that's freaking creepy um they say theft that was probably the motive but they search the house <laughs> you guys <laughs> They actually found that the assailant had urinated into a drawer that contained freshly washed baby clothes, and then the assailant had defecated onto one of the children's beds. Because, like, why? Because he's batshit crazy. I think, because this has nothing to do with blood. This is just, now you're just being mean. Like, what? (laughs) Now you're just being a dickhead. Rude. Around this time, around the time that all of this was taking place... Richard Chase ran into someone he went to high school with, Nancy Holden. And now, again, timeline is murky, so we don't really know, like, when things line up. But I like to picture in my head that he attempted to rob uh, Jean's place. He does gross things at Robert and Barbara. And then he immediately runs into Nancy. Like, that's how it played out in my head. In my head, it was either happening, not all at once, but sort of concurrently. Like, Mm -hmm. all these things were happening in the same time frame. Yeah, pretty much. And they've definitely got to be. Because, like, she was super surprised to see all of the changes in his appearance. No longer was he the clean-cut and studious boy she knew. And his place was a man who was very dirty and looked skeletal. Them drugs, y'all. Yeah. He was also wearing an orange, an orange ski parka. That would be pretty hard to miss. Dun, dun, dun. This detail would be a part of future sketches once she 
uh, decides to report it. She was kind of afraid of him, so she gets into her car and just drives away before he could make any sort of moves towards her. Thank God. Uh, Nancy was positive that Richard was the man police were already actively looking for at this point, and she would eventually go on to report this, but not quite yet. Not yet, sadly. Um, So this brings us up to the first murder, January 23rd, 1978. Richard kills a pregnant woman named Teresa Wallen. She's only 22, which broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, he found an unlocked door and basically just invited himself into her home. Um, during a conversation Richard would have later on down the road with FBI agent Robert Ressler, he shared that, quote, if the door was locked, that means you're not welcome, end quote. Um, so I think it's safe to say that that line of logic played a huge role in how he chose his victims. I don't even know if it was choosing or just happenstance, I'm you know. fascinated by that line of logic because I always find it really interesting that criminals have their own, like, codes of conduct. Their code, yes. Kind of like how in Pirates of the Caribbean, like, right. just, like, pirate code None and all that jazz. Sense, like, I, I read that and I was like, holy shit. Because, I mean, like, again, we're, we're trying to get inside the mind of a crazy person. Well, again, so it's a drug-addled, obviously psychotic brain. So mm-hmm. I guess in his head, in that's, following his logic yeah. in his brain, that would make sense. Right, absolutely. It's not an illogical thought in and of itself with zero context. If the door is locked... Also, strangers' homes and be like, let me in, right. is, Like, that's not how that works. Because, I mean, think about it, though, like back in the day we've talked about this before too like people didn't lock their doors like the way that we do now like now you know as a kid growing up we were told like you have to keep your doors locked crazy people are out there right the generation before us it was not like that so i can totally see like where this his brain could get this from oh for sure i mean i guess (laughs) i guess um, Richard winds up leaving a 22 caliber bullet. Remember the 22 caliber bullets? Mm-hmm. Um, he leaves it in the mailbox before entering the home. He actually found Teresa taking out the garbage, so he co- sort of like caught her on the way out while he was on the way in kind of thing is what yeah. I envisioned. Um, he aims and just starts to shoot. One bullet went through her hand, which from what I read was held up in like a defensive position. Um, The next bullet went through the top of her skull, which then knocks her to the ground. He leans over her and fires the fatal shot into her temple. So, again, obviously this man is having a psychotic break. He is absolutely... you don't just do this to people. No, he's absolutely unhinged. Absolutely. Like, 1,000%. Um, He moves Teresa's body to her bedroom. He does a lot of disrespectful things to her body that we're going to leave out. Um, but remember, his whole driving force is I must have blood from anywhere by any means necessary. So he goes to unspeakable lengths to do just that. Uh, the scene is absolutely covered in blood, including Richard himself. And it also appeared uh, forensically that he had set a bucket nearby and had collected additional blood because the whatever inspectors said they found ring-like imprints in the blood. Yeah. As so if something was set they in there. Set a bucket da- he set a bucket down in the blood to mm-hmm. collect more blood. Um, unfortunately, her poor husband was the one who came home after work and found Teresa and that god-awful freaking scene. I couldn't imagine. I, no. <laughs> the next murder takes place on January 27th of 1978. Evelyn Marath was 38 years old. 
She had a six-year-old son, and she would often babysit her almost two-year-old nephew, who was there that night. If I remember correctly, it said he was, like, 22 months old. I think that's so stupid, so we're just going to go with the two-year-old. Yep. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> why? Why is that I a thing? I don't, I don't get, get it. I don't get it. I get so mad. One to <laughs> eleven, I get, but after that, like one and a half is sufficient, Why? or two. Mm-hmm. I have like a forty-seven-month-old kid. Like, what <laughs> no, is the point? No, I don't like. Anyways, that. so she's got her two-year-old nephew. She also invited her friend, fifty-one-year-old Dan Meredith. I I would like to know that Evelyn only lived one mile away from the Wallen residence. So Richard enters the home and he finds Dan first and shoots him. He goes further into the home and shoots Evelyn, her son Jason, and then finds her baby nephew. Richard goes on to commit acts of cannibalism and necrophilia in addition to his normal pattern of behaviors, i.e. internal organ stabbing. You can find more details on the specifics of what he does. It but was I think so graphic, you guys, but just... I think you get the picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. So He was not a nice man. He did very not nice things to these poor people. You know, just think about what his objective was with everything he was doing, and I'm sure you could surmise some of the terrible things that he did. Um, a coroner would go on to note within this scene that the attack on the victim's internal organs were likely done so Richard was able to get more blood from the abdomen area. Again, that in and of itself paints a picture. So the neighborhood became aware of this problem thanks to a friend of the family's daughter. So the six-year-old Jason had a scheduled play date with a neighborhood kid and he didn't show up. And when that happened, the mom of this young girl, the friend, sent her over to see, like, what the heck was going on. And this young girl saw movement inside the home, but her knocks went unanswered. Weird. Um, the rest of the neighbors obviously become worried because... Something's uh, up. Something's not right. Uh, one brave human decided to enter the home and check things out for themselves. He winds up finding the whole crime scene... Uh, they call the police, obviously. The police arrive. They find, they wind up finding two carving knives near one of the bodies. Rings, again, from a bucket. Uh, the bathroom was just covered in blood. Bloody footprints that resembled prints from previous crime scenes were found. And Dan's red station wagon went missing. Right. Which will be important mm-hmm. down the road. And again, <coughs> we are seeing similar patterns of behaviors that are escalating every single time he commits an act like so much escalation (laughs) here yeah this one really i read this one i was doing my research and i had to walk away for a minute because i was like wow that's a that's just a lot Mm -hmm. to process right now yeah um police also wound up finding a bullet hole through a pillow and a fair amount of blood in the baby's crib but not actually the baby david they just couldn't locate him, which obviously he's 22 months old. He is not right. walking away from the He didn't, the like, crime take scene. off himself. Right. right. Um, it was later discovered, and this part, again, is graphic, and we apologize, but this man was horrible. Um, Richard had killed the baby in a similar fashion as Evelyn, um, but his body was not found until March 24th, 1978, Baby David was found by a janitor. Um, He'd been murdered, and his body was stuffed into a box and dumped where it remained until it was discovered. Um, What sort of, like, locked the key here was under the baby's body was a ring of keys that fit Dan's car. 
Yes. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I don't like it. Ugh. And it was, again, if you want to read all the grotesqueness, you can. But this man would not stop at anything to get blood. So Honestly. Just, you can imagine. Um, a young girl would later report seeing a man around 11 a.m. that day that matched the description of who the everybody's been seeing. He was in the area asking people for magazines. I don't know if that means he was trying to sell them or if he was yeah. trying to get them. I don't really... It wasn't clear. Because back then you could go door-to-door -door and sell magazines. Well, do you remember like when we were kids, they just sent young children door-to-door -to, -door to sell candy bars and I was such a, for I was a Girl Scout. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't allowed My to be mom a Girl Scout. Was, oh, that's right. <laughs> My mom was the troop leader, though, so she went with me. That's cute. My mom could fuck a bitch up. So. I'm sure she could. Yeah. I, I felt safe. Her. <laughs> um, so later on down the road, not that not not that late, but um, Dan's vehicle is found not far away from the scene. It was abandoned with some keys still in it. Um, police did not realize this at the time, obviously, but later on they drew the conclusion or the connection, I should say. Um, the car was parked about 100 yards away from Richard Chase's apartment on Watt Avenue. Crazy. Right. I find that so do frustrating. Do they not do neighborhood canvases? Is that not a thing? Right. Because obviously he lives in the neighborhood-ish like, if hello? he's committing all these murders. Which leads us to the point. Which, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, I don't know. It's the 70s. I'm not a detective or an investigator, so I don't know how things work. But thankfully, at this point, the FBI is brought into the investigation. Agents Robert Ressler and Russ Vorpagel... Yeah. I've never heard of him before. Me but we all know who Robert Ressler is at this point. We mentioned him literally a half an hour ago. Um, Several times, I feel. So, these two develop a profile of the unsub. And they come up with, he's a disorganized killer, possibly in the throes of psychosis. Check. 100%. He did not plan the murders because there was no attempt to hide or destroy any potential evidence and gave no thought to the consequences of his actions. Check. And he was walking around with blood on his clothing. <laughs> he was likely living in a sloppy home environment. He yep. was likely not to have a vehicle based on the fact that the crimes occurred around a central area. Like Suze just said, he likely lived in the vicinity. Um, the unsub was likely to keep killing until caught. He was likely to be a white male in his mid-twenties, thin and undernourished. I don't... Was that from the... I wonder if that was partially from the witness descriptions also. I mean, that's got to be. But I know that... We know from our, like, super in-depth research into criminal minds that <laughs> they often add that as part of the... I mean, mm -hmm. it's part of the profile, I think, regardless of where the information comes from. I think they just happen to know for a fact that this is who they were looking for. Um, they added that the perpetrator would likely have a history of mental illness and or drug use. Oh my god, or both. He was likely a loner. And that. Likely lived alone. Oh no. And was likely paranoid. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't mean to hit the table. If you could hear that, that was me tapping tapping the table out of frustration. We are aware that that is a thing and we we're trying really Sometimes hard to come up with really a solution emphatic. for it. Just as a quick sidebar. Yeah. I, I'm trying things out. We're working on it. We're very emphatic, and I'm Italian, and I don't know what you want from me. 
Um, the last thing that they had mentioned was that the NZEB wasn't likely to be employed, or if he was, he was having difficulty holding down a menial, a menial job. I don't even remember, did he just work odd jobs, or he didn't work at all? I don't think he worked at all. I feel as though his mother just funded everything. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's mentioned somewhere later. I think his mom paid we'll his rent, we'll for sure. We'll get must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> right? Thumbs down. <laughs> Um, So with the help of the FBI in this profile and all the things that they're talking about in the newspapers and on the news, witnesses start coming forward, and they probably had a little bit of luck here. Um, Law enforcement was starting to get some traction, finally. Finally! Finally. It didn't take authorities very long to find evidence of the twenty-two caliber handgun being purchased by one Richard Chase um, (laughs) in December of 1977, so right before... Everything the drive-by kitchen shooting. Because mm-hmm. that was January, right? Yep, mm-hmm, of 78. Um, Nancy Holden came forward five days later after Teresa Wallen's murder and shared her story with police. Now remember that parka. Just remember that. <laughs> just, just stick that in your brain. Detectives begin to dig a little deeper into Richard Chase, and they run a background check on him, which they find... Brings up a long list of mental illness issues, concealed weapons charges, a series of drug busts, as well as the arrest in Nevada. So even though he was let go, at least they freaking notated it. <laughs> it's something, I Dear guess. Dear Lord. So on January 29th, detectives head to Richard's apartment. And this part honestly gave me a little bit of a chuckle. Because, <laughs> you guys, it just really fits. It's just par for the course, really. Because upon arrival... Um, they learn that his mother paid his rent, mm. and yet she wasn't allowed into the place, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming they talked to, like, the manager, probably, of the I believe so. The apartment manager and then some of his neighbors as well. So, detectives knock on Richard's door, but he doesn't come out. So, they come up with a quick plan to pretend that they need a warrant, and that they were going to leave to work on that. And I think in the... TV show I watched, I'm pretty sure the detective said that, like, they went up and knocked on the door, and they're like, hey, like... We're going to go get a warrant since you're not coming out on your own. We'll be back in a little bit with yeah. the warrant. And he was like, hook, He's like, here's sinker. my time. <laughs> so once Richard thinks the coast is clear, he runs out wearing an orange ski parka. Dun, dun, dun. And sneakers that appear to be covered with blood stains. Ugh. You guys, he's also carrying a box that was filled with rags and papers that were also, shocker, stained with Stained blood. with blood. <laughs> I find that stunning. I'm shocked. What a twisty series of events. (laughs) So, there's a struggle. Because, of course, if anything, this man is batshit crazy. He's He's going to fight to the death. He's not going down easy. No. And they eventually... Of course not. I mean, like you said, he's he's been going through one psychotic break after the next. He certainly... At this point, we're like years into it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like years... 10 plus if he had his yeah. first one at 13. Well, and his first institutionalization was 1973, and this mm-hmm. is 1978. Yeah, so, so five years after At least, that. yeah. So they finally are able to apprehend him, and they find a 22 caliber handgun on his person, but they promptly take that away. Thank God. And they also find Dan and Meredith's wallet and a pair of latex gloves in his pockets. Which is weird to me, because from what I read, he didn't bother wearing gloves or doing any of those things with any of the There was, I think, I think what 
I would have to double check, but I'm like almost positive that they spoke to it being disorganized in and of itself. And that in some instances, like throughout the same event, it would seem as if there was like gloves that were used, but then other parts of the same scene where he was like, no, who where cares? they would have already been taken off or weren't put on yet or like something which I think just speaks like to the disorganization mm, of guy. the whole thing. This guy. This fucking guy. Um, so at the police station, Richard, still trying to cover his own booty, he admits to killing several dogs, but will not take any responsibility for the humans who were killed. He straight up refuses to talk about the murders, um, which, I, I mean, I get he's trying to stonewall him in his yeah. own cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs kind of way. <laughs> but in the meantime, law enforcement is actually going through his apartment because mm-hmm. obviously his mom's funding it but she's not allowed in and if his neighbors are scared of him they're not going in he obviously can't have roommates he doesn't have friends so he's just left to his own devices and i think at this point they have they have the the warrant that allows the search so it's not like they're they're like this is our guy they definitely are going to search the apartment well because what they find it's really gross again Mm -hmm. um basically everything inside just smelled rotten um, glasses, food, countertops, uh, basically everything was bloodstained mm-hmm. to some degree. Not, like, coated. But, but like, w- fingerprints and, like... There was bloodstains on everything. Like, you guys know when you get, like, I don't know, like, a piece, like chocolate syrup or something on your hand? Like, I get chocolate syrup on my hand at work from, like, a And then you track and it then everywhere. it's literally mm-hmm. everywhere. It's that kind of vibe. Like We have monins at work that are, like, really sticky. Mm-hmm. We, in fact, have one that's strawberry, so it's red, like blood. <laughs> and I just, once Ew. it's on you, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. So that's kind of, like, what it Ugh. looked like. It wasn't necessarily that it was, like, caked in blood around his apartment. Right. But it was transferred from all over the place (laughs) and from other stuff um they did also find several pieces of bone and bits of brain tissue Mm. uh there were actually plates in the fridge filled with body parts it didn't specify but i'm gonna guess it's animal body parts um a badly stained and putrid smelling blender you know he likes those we already know what that's coke and organ smoothies um they also which this makes me just want to hulk through a wall or something they found pet collars but no pets right because obviously um they also found newspaper ads with articles or not articles but i guess like want ads about selling dogs circled um they found a science book open to human organ diagrams which i think is where the uh, he got the idea to stab the internal organs to get more blood i mean that would make sense um they also which this creeped me the fuck out (laughs) they found a calendar it just had today written on the dates of the murders plus (laughs) so they say he was disorganized but this to me at least means he had the forethought to be like i'm gonna write today on 44 more dates this year Forty-four. Yeah. So again, that goes back to the FBI profile. Like unchecked, he could have just kept committing murder. Absolutely. When Han- well, and he had every intention to commit at least forty-four of them, if not more. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is that like he has like very he has like no victimology. Like there's the only rhyme and reason to his. It's the opportunist in him. I yeah. think is like if the doors unlocked, he goes up like, and checks the door, home. and if they're so home, creepy. then like oh, I don't like. It's like it's like that so movie glad Strangers. I walk on my doors. Like, I don't think I've ever seen it. Okay, it's terrifying. <laughs> I don't and like scary I shit. I will not 
I love me some horror movies. Like, I love Halloween. Friday the 13th is mostly okay. Nightmare on Elm Street got real weird. But, like, I love, like, your thrillers, your slashers. Scream is probably one of my favorites. This is so unbelievably fucking realistic that it's terrifying. Like, basically, the Cliff Notes version is that, like... This couple is in a cabin in the woods, and Never these do people that. that's rule number one terrorize them. And at the very end of the movie, sorry if this is spoil. It's been out for like fifteen years. Yeah. So I mean, no, if you haven't it, seen I it, know, it's so on you. Have to watch it. At the Give end me. of the movie, this couple who have been tortured for the last two hours for our viewing pleasure asks them, "Why are you doing this?" Their answer is, "Because you were home." I have chills. It's fucking terrifying. Because that's literally this. <laughs> yes. It's literally the vampire of Sacramento. It's the people like that, like, Israel Keys, like, it's those opportunistic killers that really just, like, put terrifying. the fear of God into Again, me. though, that's just you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. For them, it's the right place at the right time, but for you, it's the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, the only thing that stands between you and this guy's wrath, like, is your locked door. I am a crazy person. All my shit's locked. I have tasers and, like, all the things with me when I go places. Yeah. I'm good. You're not going to get me. At all. (laughs) I am not going to get God. (laughs) There have been a lot of reports lately, because we live by two major interstates here in Erie, Mm I-79 and I-90, so there have been a lot of reports of, like, vans pulling up and asking... They'll let a woman out. She'll ask for money for gas. Yeah. And then, like, it's dudes in the van ready well, you to remember, kidnap you. I told you about I'm that good. one time that I feel like I was, like, yeah. trying to get me. Targeted. Yeah. So, I used to smoke cigarettes. I don't anymore. I've been almost a year. Nicotine yes, free. Girl. What? What? So, um, I was on my way to work one morning. It was 10 to 5 in the morning because I had to open. Ugh. And um, I stopped at Country Fair to get smokes. And as I'm walking back out to the car... Somebody from a pump is like, hey, hey, you. And I just stop, literally, like, mid-stride. I'm just like, yeah, what? I'm not friendly in the best circumstance, let alone at 5 in the morning. Oh, I just keep walking. So I was right there, right? Well, and she starts to, like, walk towards me a little bit. So I walk towards my car, and she's like, can you help us? Can you help us? And I just was like, well, I don't know what's wrong, but if you go inside, I'm sure they'll let you, like, use the phone. Right. I have to go to work. And then she's starting to, like, walk towards my car. She's like, just come over here and help me. And I was like, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm not a mechanic. Yeah, no. And then she's like, just come help me. And she starts walking towards my car. So I get in my fucking car. And I, like, scoot, scoot I'm right like, out of there. That's exactly fire. what I did. Skirt, and I got to work. And I'm, like, panicked. And I'm breathing hard and heavy. And, like, my baristas were like, what's wrong? And I was like, you guys, I think they tried to traffic me. <laughs> like, it's a very real possibility here. Because the lake's right there, too. Absolutely. If they want to, like, jump on a boat, like, quite literally, and get to Canada, they can't. It's right there. It's scary stuff. So be careful out there, guys. Yes, all of you. You should always have some sort of defensive item on you at all times. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember where we're at. I think we're into the trial now. Yes. Yeah. We get so, sidetracked a lot. Whoops. Well, that's a very scary and real thing that's happening Don't right get trafficked. So. Be aware of your surroundings. I definitely think that we need to... I have a couple of cases that have to do with, like, sex trafficking that we're going to throw on soon because the stuff that's happening locally is kind of getting scary. Just be mean. (laughs) Honestly. That's my strategy anyway. I mean, don't... (laughs) I'd rather be rude and alive (laughs) than nice and dead. Let's just put it that way. So we're going to get into the trial proceedings and all this good stuff, which is the part that I like to talk about most, because 
it's just the trial is the law and the way it works is what fascinates me i know so, it's just sometimes it makes no sense most of the time <laughs> it makes no sense i'm like what um law enforcement continues to gather evidence richard was not cooperating a one really good example being they needed a blood sample to analyze and compare with blood found at the scenes richard lost his fucking mind and he needed to be held down turns out authorities were very unaware that richard had an intense fear of losing his own blood so they weren't prepared for that at all how were they not though did they not look at any of his psych records I mean, it seemed like to me that things happened kind of quickly once they got going. Like, oh. once they figured out who it was, it at least that's how it read to yeah. me. That it was pretty, like, boom, boom, boom. They I knew who he that. was. They probably weren't really looking for the why. So, I wonder, this... They assign him a defense attorney. His name is Ferris Salami. Rather than Salami. Let's go with Salami. It's literally smelled, spelled like Salami, but with a Y. Yes. So that's how I read it. Mm-hmm. I called him Salami. I, no offense, <laughs> sir, if you're out there somewhere. Um, His first the, name is Ferris. I know. <laughs> this poor guy. I like the name Ferris. I Ferris mean. Bueller. Mm-mm. Um. So immediately, the defense attorney's like, yep, we're done with this. He separates Richard from the detectives, gets to work on the case. Mm-hmm. Um. Richard's mother, this poor deluded crazy lady, was firmly planted in her belief that her son had done nothing wrong despite the gigantic mountain of evidence that was piling up against him. Um, and she was, of course, she wasn't, she was not being cooperative with law enforcement at all. The denial in this situation was very real. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Richard awaited his trial in jail and began to confess to other inmates that he was drinking his victim's blood. Dumbass. And he was telling people that he had blood poisoning and that he needed the blood but had grown tired of hunting and killing animals. So he's basically admitting to the murders to other inmates and then going on to explain himself as if that was going to excuse it. Like, oh, it's fine. You needed an inf- like I a needed transfusion, this. so you just took it and by I murder? Was, I was tired. I, humans are easier? Is that That's the first thing that popped in my head. Like, how is a human easier to... I wouldn't think. I, right, I don't know. I guess, though, in his brain. <laughs> I guess. Um, the defense, because of course they did, uh, enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, Ronald W. I didn't even. I think Tochterman. I didn't even want to try. We'll go with that. He's the lead prosecutor for this case. He was obviously going to seek the death penalty, and he was literally hell bent on proving that Richard Chase knew right from wrong. Um, Ron went as far as studying other blood-related crimes, blood rituals, and the actual story of Dracula, which you'll remember Richard was nicknamed Dracula that one time in the psych ward. The man does his homework. Right. Well, good. Um, He found that there were some people that did believe that ingesting another person's blood would strengthen or heal them in some way, but Ronald wanted to show that it was not a good enough reason, which it's obviously not, to murder someone. <laughs> like, hello. Right. And I mean, I feel, it feels as if the prosecution took this very personally, but I understand why, because, like, not only were there children and babies and a pregnant lady, like, also the horrific am- things that he did. Yeah. It warranted that for sure. And I think that he saw that there was a real possibility that the jury could look and be like, this is clearly a disturbed man. And he was clearly not 
in the right mind. But I agree with the prosecution. I think that he was very aware of what he was doing. I do, too. So the defense would ultimately request a change of venue due to the fact that locally this case was a really big deal. Everyone was talking about it. Uh, The motion gets granted, and the trial was moved 120 miles south to Santa Clara County. By the end of the entire process, Richard was examined by at least 12 different psychiatrists. While speaking with them, he opens up a little bit about some of his thought processes. He admits to one psychiatrist that he was disturbed by the killing of his own victims. He thought that his victims may come back from the dead with the intention of getting him. I wish. If only. If only that was the karma that every horrible man like this suffered. Mm -hmm. Or woman. Any human that commits these kinds of acts. Right. Um, He also shared that he apparently never felt compelled to kill. He simply thought that blood was therapeutic. So, like, it wasn't so much of... It was just a means to an end, I think, is, like, what he was trying to get at. One psychiatrist said that he had antisocial personality disorder, not schizophrenia. Which is a very distinct difference. So APD is a particularly challenging type of personality disorder characterized by impulsive, irresponsible, and often criminal behavior. People with this disorder will typically be manipulative, deceitful, and reckless, and will not care for other people's feelings. So this fits. I could see it being a little... Well, I I have column A, column B. I take into account the drugs, because I feel like some of those hallucinogenics can maybe sort of mimic what a schizophrenic would feel. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But the the antisocial thing like that, to me, is like, yup, yup, yup. Yeah. (laughs) I think you're right. I think it's a combination of all the things. I mean, the one psychiatrist from way earlier in the story did mention, like, he thought that his psychosis was drug-induced, point blank, period. So, I mean, who... Who really knows? Unfortunately, this is just where we're at. Right. Um, They also found that... The psychiatrists found that Richard's thought processes were not interrupted. And that he was very aware of what he had done. And he knew it was wrong. And he just did it anyway. Yeah. And I think that's like the key to what the prosecution is trying to prove. So things move sort of fast because the trial starts on January 2nd, 1979. So basically like... Immediately. Yeah. Um, And Richard is charged with six counts of murder. Throughout the trial, the prosecution continues to emphasize that Richard had a choice, that several times he did bring the gloves with him because his intent was to murder. Um, Altogether, there were 250 prosecution exhibits that the jury had to go through. Um, The most compelling, it's just a couple of highlights, were the gun itself, Dan Meredith's wallet, which was actually found on Richard's person when they apprehended him. Um, The first witness of the trial, which I can't even imagine listening to this, Mm -hmm. is David Wallen, um, the husband of Teresa Wallen, the man that found his pregnant wife basically in a very horrific scene. Um, His testimony actually took around four months to get through. Um, He did describe all the horrors he walked into once he arrived home that night. I can't even imagine that poor man. No. Oh, my God. Traumatized for life. Yes. I'm traumatized just reading about it. I mean, honestly. <laughs> and then the the crazy thing is, is that there was 100 witnesses that <laughs> followed Mr. Wallen. Like you said, I feel like the prosecution was like, this is personal. Yeah. Which I, as it should be. I can appreciate because, I mean, sometimes... I like their dedication. I feel like we see that a lot of the times and it's almost directed at the wrong people. Like, I mean, we saw that with, like, the Scott Peterson case. Yeah. As everybody who's actively listening to us knows we both feel 
negatively about how that was handled. But this is a case where, like, the prosecution is so tunnel vision, but in the right way. Right. And it's, it's refreshing to see. Yeah. So, throughout the trial, Richard continues to lose weight. He ends up clocking in at 107 pounds, which and is I like... I believe they said he was over six feet tall, so that's like yeah. downright your walking skeleton. He was way too thin, to the point where his eyes were like sunken in. Was, if you didn't know what he had done, you would be very sad to see the state he was in. Right. Like, he looks like one of those, like, poor people on those, like, commercials that just completely exploited, like, poor countries. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or even, yeah, like, Somalia and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. It was sad. It's sad. But. That is sad. This is not so sad. Correct. Despite <laughs> this, Richard was put on the stand in his own defense, which I don't <laughs> fully understand that thought process, but. Obviously, he's. Nuttier than a fruit. Okay, so the too. only thing I can in addition think of, to looking terrifying, the only thing I could think of is that the defense was like, "Yeah, absolutely, get on that fucking stand." Well, maybe he would go ape shit on he the stand or something and be like, "His oh, own insanity." Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what guess. I was thinking too. So during his own defense, he claims to have only been semi-conscious during the Wallen murder, but admits to drinking her blood, and he yeah. goes on to explain in detail how he had been mistreated for much of his life, which. which I mean, happened. Yeah, but, but A does not lead to drinking correct. blood and all the horrible things he did. That it's, just <laughs> it felt like the testimony itself was really chaotic. Yes, uh, which uh, again, this is again a his theme testimony. Here, yeah, yep. um, Richard claims he doesn't actually remember a lot from the second set of murders. He said that he did recall shooting baby David, um, and he did wind up decapitating him, which he remembered. Um, he continues to say that he thought the baby was something else, but he doesn't ever elaborate on what exactly he thought. My David assumption was. was an animal. Oh, I mean, because again, cause you know, think small. about it. And he's this is a disturbed individual who we know has delusions, right? So, like, I mean, if I had to think of anything that would make any kind of logical sense, which none of this does, but if I'm trying to follow that line of logic, follow his brain, he probably, if that part is true. He probably assumed it was an animal. Yeah. From the treatment of the poor baby, oh. that's that's what I, that what that makes me feel better. Right. <laughs> to, to think that he wasn't aware of what he was doing to this poor, very innocent little guy. Unfortunately, he goes on to share that he thought all of his problems stemmed from his erectile dysfunction that he experienced as a teen. He's very self-aware. Yeah. Um, Before he ended his testimony, he did apologize for the killings, but I feel as though, like, everybody was just like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, okay, great. I would be curious to know if there is any footage, and I I might try to seek it out after this, but, like, I'm curious if there's any footage of his testimony i don't or know interviews. if they recorded any of that i'm yeah. not well he did we'll find out later on do extensive interviews but right. i don't know that they recorded any of them like with videos hmm. maybe maybe during one of mark's naps this coming week i'll get on that <laughs> do a shows. rabbit hole so the defense was actively looking for a charge of second-degree murder based on the fairly obvious mental issues at play. They knew that there was no way they were going to get their client off of what he had done because oh, he clearly certain. committed the crime. He deserved to be locked up somewhere. He deserved consequences, <laughs> right. but I think that he was shooting for, you know, obviously a lesser sentence. Right. The prosecution argued against it by stating that he was a sexual sadist monster that knew what he was doing and was 
completely incapable of being rehabilitated, which at this point I'd be inclined to agree with. Yes. Absolutely. So on May 8th, 1979, Richard was found guilty of six counts of first-degree murder, and the jury had only deliberated for an hour. One hour. It did take them about four hours to decide on the death penalty. But still, only four hours. So a (laughs) five-hour of, like, deliberation total. So, I mean, I think that just speaks to the prosecution's case also. He, He did the damn thing. Right. Um, so I don't know if this is a fitting end to Richard Chase or not, but on December 26, 1980, Richard is found dead in his cell. Um, so the guard assigned to that area looked in on Richard and saw him lying on his back. He appeared to be breathing normally. Um, he didn't respond when the guard called out to him, but that wasn't really unusual. So the guard didn't think anything of it and like moved on down the line. Sometime later, so obviously the same shift, Yeah. Uh, the same guard checks in on Richard, only to find him on his stomach with both legs extended and his feet on the floor. He had his head against the mattress and his arms were extended up towards the pillow. Again, the guard calls out and again receives no answer. This time, however, there are literally no signs of any movement whatsoever, so the guard heads into the cell and proceeds to pull Richard off the bed. Uh, at this point, it was visibly clear to the guard that Richard was dead. When authorities search his cell, a strange suicide note was found. Allegedly, some of the other inmates were so afraid of Richard and they didn't want to share space with him. So, according to the story, they encouraged him to commit suicide, which That's I think not cool, dude, is but. sad. But I also think really speaks to like again like we've mentioned this before like if convicts are scared of you or convicts are mad at you like what what does that say about you as a person right right no absolutely (laughs) because these are like some bad mamma jammas in the first place that's what i'm saying but if they're like terrified enough that they would try to coerce you into doing this so richard was on a daily dose of cinequan a med used to combat hallucinations and depression it came to him as a pack of three, and so it appeared he Terrible was hoarding... Idea. Right? Why do they trust him? It appears that he was hoarding the doses with the intention of overdosing. The coroners rule the cause of death as toxic ingestion, and he also noted that Richard's heart was normal and in good shape despite his worries, which I thought so was... he did have all of his arteries. So everything was fine. It didn't appear as if his heart was stopping, and if he was, it was probably for one of the aforementioned reasons. Yeah. Like, uh, so before his death, Richard Chase was visited by the FBI profilers, um... Because they were working on a criminal database, so they interviewed him and added all this information into said database. (laughs) This case is actually still used by the FBI as the archetypal model for understanding the disorganized killer, which he showed signs of being with it, but also, dear lord. Um, Robert Ressler interviewed him a lot, and he would later recall um, that in 1976... Richard believed that his blood was turning into powder, which is one that I hadn't heard before. Right. Um, And that he needed blood from other creatures so that he could replenish it. Um, Despite the disagreements surrounding Richard's mental state and the safety of the public, the psychiatrist still released Richard time and time again. (coughs) Uh, It was clear that Richard was 
deteriorating ever since that Nevada arrest in 1977 with all the cow blood and the liver and whatnot. Um, He had killed several animals, pets of family and neighbors, in addition to ones he purchased through the newspaper. He did actually, this part was weird to me, he -hmm. collected articles on the Hillside Strangler, and he was actually very fascinated by the serial killer. Like, I don't think he wanted to be him, but he was like, ooh, I like your style or something. Like, I don't... Who knows? I don't know. I don't have a lot of base knowledge on the Hillside Strangler, um, myself. He's on our list. He absolutely but. is. Cause, but he's, there's a lot of moving parts because there's like two of them at the same time. So I get that case very confused. But if I remember correctly, there was a lot of blood involved in the scenes of the crimes. That sounds right. So I think that maybe that was where the connection was. <laughs> um, Richard again reverts back to the triad. He starts a fire in his neighbor's garage. He was annoyed by their loud music and wanted them gone, so he tried to basically scare them away. I mean, that's fire. super <laughs> logical, Suze. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, oh my gosh, this next one, when I was writing it, I couldn't even. <laughs> well, because I was like, this has to be made up. I read it like six times, and I was like, it still doesn't make sense to me, but like, Same. there is some <laughs> not logic, but like some sort it's, of weird, twisted logic to it's it. It's logic that makes sense in his brain. So, in his head, there's something about a soap dish. Um, everyone has one, which, whatever, back then, <laughs> I guess. If you lift the soap and it's dry, you're all right. But if you lift the soap and it's gooey, um, you will have the poisoning and your blood will turn to powder and that the powder will deplete your energy and eat away at your body. So I think that we're seeing a very clear insight to what his brain and thought patterns were. <laughs> like, just, what? There is a right and wrong. It's just none of it makes any sense to normal people like, like us. It, <laughs> I found it interesting that he it's did seem... It's his own code of right and yeah, wrong. Yeah, he had his own moral compass, if you will. And that... He had a compass. Let's just... He, he had a compass. <laughs> Where it points, no one knows. Um, so also, uh, through these interviews, Richard claimed that he was Jewish, which he wasn't, uh, and that he had been persecuted by Nazis, <laughs> and that the Nazis were connected to UFOs. Yep. What? Also, said UFOs apparently told him to kill in order to replenish his blood, and that they followed him around, which should obviously make it very easy for the FBI to find these UFOs. Yeah, because, you know, the FBI has satellites and radar and all those things that they are just very willing to waste resources on. Oh, yeah. Wild <laughs> goose chase much. Um, and as a just final crazy bananasness, Richard did actually claim that the prison guards themselves were in cahoots with the Nazis and that everyone was just trying to poison him. At one point in, in his story, he also claimed his mother was trying to poison him. And she was literally the only person that was like, here is money, here is a place to live. Yeah, but like, I wonder if that was like... That's enabling. Of, I, well, guilt. it's not even that. I was just saying, I wonder if it's just out of a stay out of my hair mm. kind of thing. I could see that versus, too. Versus uh, guilt. I mean, shit, I would take guilt over that. You know what I mean? These so yeah. bitches. So that's the vampire so that's, of Sacramento. That's him, guys. Yeah. That was a lot. <laughs> it just, like I said, there was a lot of mental illness there, mm-hmm. but the man liked blood a lot. It it was and interesting. I found this case very interesting because there's a lot of weird kind of twists and turns that you don't expect. And like I said, guys, if you don't know by now or if you're new here, hey, welcome. But hey. we 
discuss the crimes and we discuss the trials and all the things but we're we're not trying to get into the dirty details we're not trying to do anything that's really disrespectful we are trying to focus more on like the psychology behind things and like the trial process if it's pertinent to the case we will bring it up like obviously the blood rings and the Cow's it was necessary liver. like details. those things are necessary but we did we did actually edit a lot out of the story because it's just too terrifying for words really well and Susan and I don't really want to speak any of that kind of stuff into existence it's true um the information is out there we will you know we list our sources for you guys every week so I mean by all means if you're more interested in some of the more dirtier details it's out there and available if you want to start a discussion with us like that's cool too we'll talk about it um i just try we just try to keep the podcast a little bit more on the lighter side as far as like gross things yeah and try to talk about like the interesting parts of the even we have our limits (laughs) yeah so that being that we would like to thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of crime and spirits um we are located on many platforms. We just added Stitcher to the list. Yes. So that's exciting. I think we're up to like six platforms now. Uh, if you guys are into it and you like what we're doing, please rate and review us on any platform that you personally enjoy listening on. It would really help us kind of get found a little bit easier, get us boosted up in, you know, algorithms and all that jazz. Um, Since we don't know how any of that works, any help you can give us in that respect would be amazing. We're learning, but unfortunately at a certain point, it's out of our hands. It and is. In, it's true. in your guys' hands. Uh, please come find us on social media. We uh, post shopping lists every Friday of what the drink's going to be for that Sunday. That way you can get all sorts of ready ahead of time. We launch our new episodes on Sundays, complete with the drink recipe on yes. all of our social medias. Also, guys, if you make the drink, tag us. It doesn't matter what you're drinking. It doesn't matter when. Any of that jazz, like, we would just love to see it. If it's beer, wine, water, you're at the gym, Mike, you're (laughs) out riding your bike, maybe pull over first. Like, just please. Yeah, safety first. (laughs) Let us know. We like to see people out in the wild listening to us. Yeah. So Instagram and Facebook is going to be at Crime and Spirits Pod. Twitter is going to be at Crime Spirits Pod. Uh, and you guys be on the lookout. We're going to be posting some Instagram reels here soon. Of <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> drinks. Uh, hopefully you guys will like that. I think having a visual will be a nice component. We hope. We're going to give it a go. Yeah. If you hate it, also tell us that. But be nice. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> First and foremost, compliment sandwich. Yeah. Tell us what we're doing right. Give us our feedback. And then more right things. Right. Stuff. Exactly. We love it. That being said, we really appreciate you guys, and thank you so much. Yep, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.